So, when we last left Moses and the children of Israel, they had been camped at Mount Sinai and had just completed the tabernacle. If you were with us last summer, we did a series uh, that was in going through the book of Exodus. And actually, even if you weren't with us last summer, we did a series going through the uh, book of Exodus. And I, I think most of us, we enjoy going through this and uh, taking some of the stories maybe we remembered in some parts may have been uh, new, uh, but seeing what God was teaching us through these, uh, these accounts. And if you missed that, uh, they are all available online if you go to the uh, church website. But we left that off and we didn't finish what was going on with Moses. So the next book in the Old Testament is the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is not the book that oftentimes gets people's blood pumping when they hear a series in Leviticus. Uh, It's a book that, for many people, has a bad reputation. Many people think of Leviticus and they think, oh, this is a boring book, or it's outdated, or a bunch of ridiculous laws that we can just make fun of and definitely don't apply today. And yet, did you know that Leviticus actually used to be the very first book that Jewish children would study in the synagogue. And yet for us, it's one that we tend to, tend to avoid. And so as I was thinking about what do we do this summer, I just realized we, we have to do Leviticus because we're not going to shy away from parts of the Word of God. And this is, it's written in a, for a certain context, but it is also intended and written for us today. There are things that we're going to see, sacrifices, uh, different laws. Uh, today, we're going to be going through seven chapters in the beginning on these Old Testament sacrifices, giving an overview of this. And there are going to be some uh, gory details. And I do mean gory. Uh, if you get into this and you read all of these details, there's literal blood and, and gore. Um, we're going to look at what did this mean for the children of Israel at that time? What would they have gotten out of this? And also, what, did, what does it communicate to us about God? God does not change. So what is being communicated to us about God in this? We, we can still learn from this. And it sets us up to realize what the coming of Jesus Christ is going to mean. You won't really understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament, what came first. There are laws that we're going to see in Leviticus. Some of them are obscure. We say, why would this be a law? What does this mean? But as we dig into it, I think you're going to be fascinated by this. Some of these laws are very controversial, especially in our world today. And we'll deal with these. And what is God saying here? And what is the, what is the application? And why is this still important? And realize that even though some of the laws are controversial, there's others. For example, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you're thinking, well, if it's in Leviticus, let's just throw it out. Realizing, no, you'd be throwing out a lot of things that you don't want to throw out. We have to understand these things and understand. That's part of what Pastor Nick and I want to do in this series. How do we understand the Old Testament, what is, what is different being under the New Covenant, but what are also the things that are the same and the principles that we're supposed to learn that are abiding from this. A big theme of Leviticus is to be holy because God is holy. Leviticus twenty twenty six says, You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy. 
And you actually see this several times in the book of Leviticus. That's going to be a main point over and over, that the God, the actual real God, is a God that is very holy. He is set apart. He is, he is unstained, uncompromised by sin, and he will not allow himself to be compromised by sin. So what does that mean for us? Because we are sinners. How do you come into the presence of a holy God like that? And Leviticus is going to help us understand some of this and to help us understand what it means for what Christ did for us and how important that is. So, yes, we're going to do Leviticus. We're not going to wimp out. We're not going to shy away from it. And the great thing is I I know what this church is like, that you like getting into the details. You You believe that all Scripture is God's Word and is God's Word, you know, for us. And how can we wrestle through some of these different things? Uh, Again, this is written to a different time and even a different era in salvation history. But rather than having that be a hindrance to us, I think that's actually a positive thing. That looking at something that is from a different culture and, you know, sacrifices and uh, the, the lifestyle that they lived, sometimes if we only think about things from a perspective that just matches our own, we can miss certain important truths because we're, we think that all of life is just how we view it and what we value now. And looking at things from a different culture and a different era sometimes jar us and help us to realize some truths that, that, that maybe we're off. Otherwise, you end up being like the fish that doesn't even realize it's wet because swimming in the water is all it knows. You know, we live in our culture and the way things are in this world and what you see on media, and we can just think, well, that's just normal. Looking at a different era and a different culture can help us to realize some ways that maybe our life here is not normal. And maybe there's things where the things that we assume are, are not what is really intended to be. So I'm actually excited to be getting into Leviticus, and I hope that uh, you are as well. So, I do encourage you to have a Bible open to Leviticus. Uh, we will not be able to read all seven chapters of this. That would, be, that would be quite a bit. But you know what? Leviticus is often uh, where Bible reading plans go to die. Okay? So, how many of you would admit that you, you once made a commitment, you were going to read through Scripture, and maybe Leviticus is where it kind of died off? Or somewhere around there? Okay. And how many of you don't want to admit that, but it's actually true? Okay, that's the rest of the hands. <clears throat> well, I hope at the very least, you know, maybe this would be the summer you say, okay, I'm going to read Leviticus. And some of it, there might be just a lot of details, and it's important that these details are down. Um, but hopefully, going through these sacrifices and giving you an overview, if you do decide to read that this week, it's going to help you to have, uh, <clears throat> to have a roadmap for what's going on. So the first thing we'll look at is that God gave uh, Moses instruction for five different types of sacrifices. And these are spelled out in the first uh, seven chapters here. And in the beginning, it's going to talk about each of these and explain what was the duty for the, the worshiper, the one presenting the sacrifice, bringing it to the priests. 
And at the end, it gives further instruction for the priests, what do they do once the sacrifice is, is given to them? So at the end of Exodus, God had given uh, very detailed instructions about how to build the tabernacle, kind of this portable uh, structure that they were going to have in the wilderness. This is before they had the temple. And so you had the, the outer court, and in this picture here, you have a cutaway of the, the, the holy place and the holy of holies inside there where the Ark of the Covenant was. These sacrifices that are being described here, these are the, uh, some of these are, are done daily, very often, and these are actually done um, in the outer courtyard there where the, the bronze altar is. So that's where these sacrifices are done as we look at it. And the first sacrifice we're going to see is the burnt offering. And we're going to spend most time talking about this one, and then we'll give a little bit, as much as we can with the time that we have for the other four sacrifices. So I hope you will take time to read some of the rest of this uh, in detail. So let's uh, read and kind of work through this. So uh, Leviticus 1.1. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the livestock from the herd or from the flock. I want to stop there. I think one of the things we need to notice is that this is the Lord, this is God giving these instructions to Moses. And so Moses was a prophet, and he was supposed to, as a prophet, then pass this on to the people of Israel. And so, and then it was recorded for us uh, from, in the books of Moses here in, in Leviticus. And it's just important for us to realize that if, as we look at these and all the details, and we think, I wouldn't have done this, that this is, this is God's instruction. And because this was from God, we can know that he is trying to communicate something to us, uh, both about humanity and our situation, but even more importantly about who he is and what he is like and what it, what it means to, to approach God. So this was not something that Moses and a bunch of the elders of Israel formed a committee and sat around and said, God's up there, how can we reach him? You know, what can we do to make our ideas on how someone gets to reach God? And, you know, maybe we can come up with a bunch of different ways and things that are good for people. No, this is God saying, I'm here, I'm a holy God. If you are going to be right with me, or if you are going to approach me, this is how I'm telling you to do it. And God gave them these instructions. The first for the burnt offering. So verse, uh, back to this in verse 3. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd. He shall offer a male without blemish. Let me read through all of um, this for a while. We'll come back and talk about some of these points. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Then he shall kill the bull before the Lord and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and throw the blood against the side of the altar that is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into pieces. 
And the sons of Aaron and the priests shall put fire on the altar and arrange wood on the fire. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, the head and the fat, on the wood that is on the fire and the altar. But its entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And then if we had time and went on reading, he's going to talk about other burnt offerings, uh, that if it's a, uh, a, from the flock, a sheep or a goat, with uh, some of the basic instructions, it goes on. And also if it was a burnt offering of a bird, And part of the reason was these offerings were things uh, that everyone could do. Not everyone could afford um, a cow, a bull. Uh, And so uh, only certain people would be able to afford a bull to bring. It had to be a male. Um, But others would be able to bring a sheep uh, or a goat. And, um, but others could even bring a, a bird if that's all that they could afford, even if you need to go, you know, trap one and, and bring it in. Um, so burnt offerings, you know, thinking through this and some of the instructions that he has, uh, we see they were to bring it to the, uh, the entrance of the tent of meeting. Verse 3 says that it was to be a male without blemish. And we're going to see that uh, some of the other sacrifices could be a, a male or female animal. This one had to be a male without blemish. And I'll just say this as we think ahead to, um, to Christ. Uh, there might be something there that is symbolic. It had to be without blemish. You couldn't bring, uh, say, well, I've got to do a sacrifice, so I'm going to pick the most you know, nasty, diseased uh, animal in my herd. Just I've got to check this box and got to get it done that they were supposed to bring one that was flawless, that if they were going to uh, present this to the Lord, it had to be, this had to be, this had to be a good one. It had to be a sacrifice without flaw. Verse 4 says, He shall lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. I think here especially we see the purpose of the burnt offering. And I know there's some you know, debate that uh, people have as far as what do the different offerings mean. And later on, we're going to see a sin offering and a guilt offering. And it can kind of lead us to think, well, those are the ones for sin and guilt. Uh, but what I want to suggest to you is um, that those offerings that we'll look at, the sin and the guilt offering, and they're called different things in different translations, but those are actually for specific circumstances, where the burnt offering, this was the general offering. This, was to, it, this dealt with sin in general. And although there are other places in the Old Testament where you see the burnt offering done to show total devotion to the Lord, I think here we do see specifically that this is about making atonement. Because it, again, it says that he shall, it talks about laying hands, it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. So when you bring the animal, the worshiper would bring it in, and this wasn't the priest, this was the, the regular folks that would bring the animal. They had to lay their hand on the animal before they killed it. And this was, this was important, this was significant. So what they were doing is they were identifying with the sacrifice. In a way, this laying the hands on the animal was kind of, it was 
symbolic of transferring their guilt to this animal that would be, would be slaughtered, that it would, be, it would take the punishment that the, the worshiper deserved. I mean, that was part of, that's what it meant when they were laying hands on this, and not just doing this uh, from afar. And it talks about atonement. Um, word here that can mean that it's providing a covering, a propitiation for sin, that he may be accepted before the Lord. This resulted in reconciliation with God, restoring harmony with God for, for the sins of the, the worshiper that was coming making the sacrifice. But then notice too when we read again from verse 5 what this worshiper had to do. It says, And he shall kill the bull before the Lord. And then Aaron's sons, the priests, they would bring the blood. I told you there's, there's gory details here. They would collect the blood, they would throw it against the uh, sides of the altar. And then the worshiper had to, to cut up had to flay it, you know, skin it, cut it up. And then they would take all the pieces of this. The burnt offering, the entire thing was sacrificed. The entire thing was, was burnt up uh, to the Lord. And they would put it on there. Verse 9 says, The entrails and its legs he shall wash with water. And we're thinking, what's, what's that? Why is that going on? You have to wash the, the guts of this and its legs? Well, think about it. I mean, if you had a bull and you, were, you slaughtered this, uh, it would have uh, partly digested uh, material in parts of its body. So I guess to make this real plain, you had to wash the poop off of it, okay? Because you were offering an offering to the Lord. You wanted it to be without blemish. And so you had to uh, yeah, wash the, that stuff off of it, get it out. And washing the legs, that's where these animals are walking around in the, the dirt and the muck and, and their own droppings. And so it had to be a, a clean offering that was given to the Lord. Think about this, what this would be like. That we come into a worship service and a lot of what we do is oftentimes very passive. I mean, you can come in and maybe you sing. Hopefully you do. Hopefully you're putting your heart and soul into it. But sometimes people can come in and just, okay, there's singing going on or you're saying words while uh, you're thinking about something else. Think of the worship that they were called to do, bringing this animal in and what they had to do. They had to, they had to pick it out from, from their herd, pick out which one are they going to kill and pick out a good one. And this was going to be a sacrifice for them. I mean, this was going to, in the sense also of, this was a costly thing. I mean, to, even today, you know, to, a bull is worth a lot of money. I mean, back then, I mean, that would, that would feed you for, for a long time. And to have this where it was going to be cut up and just totally burned, you know, and just given to the Lord as, as an offering like this, that would be a big deal. But also just the physical act of killing this animal. I mean, that's where it's foreign to us to think about this. Most of us, we are not used to animal death. It's just not a normal part of our life. Maybe in our church, for some, there's maybe more here because we have hunters and we have farmers and people here that realize that uh, ground beef does not grow on trees. Uh, some people, I don't know if they realize that. Uh, it gets there somehow. 
Um, but yeah, some people are not very used to animal death. Uh, and sometimes it stands out. We think of these little, you know, these, these critters and different things. Uh, last week, um, uh, my kids uh, found a baby bunny in the, the backyard, and we rescued this baby bunny from the cats. We had like three cats all very interested. So we found it, and we put it in this cage. And then later on, um, I was told, you know, uh, that the baby bunny got out. That Zoe and the neighbor girl were, you know, holding it, and it got away, and we thought, oh boy, we better, you know, rescue the baby bunny. They found it under the porch before the cats get it. Again, cats were very interested. And as we got little bunny into safety into the cage, uh, the, the cat comes out of the tall grass in the backyard uh, with probably brother or sister baby bunny <laughs> and brought it. And it's like, well, yep, that's, that's how it goes. And I asked, uh, I think Zoe later on, like, did the cat eat the bunny? And I think she said, yeah, watch it, it ate its face. It's like, oh. You know, stuff like that, it makes us, it makes us squeam, you know, but uh, we're not used to seeing animal death. And that's why sometimes we think about these sacrifices and, you know, we're repulsed by it sometimes. People think, how could this be? Why would God do this? That can't be right. That's just some violent, you know, made-up God of the Old Testament that's not like how God is today. And because we're not used to that, you know, or seeing what it's like to, to slaughter an animal, you know, like this, I thought about thinking, telling you that, you know, to make sure that we all knew what this was like, I, I found a video clip, um, a YouTube clip of, you know, slaughtering a lamb, you know, and just to make us realize this, um, and we're not really going to show you. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Okay, so if, if you're like, oh, Pastor, what are you going to... No, 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 no. But I want you to think about, we're, we're repulsed at even thinking about the idea of watching a video of something like that happening, Right? And we would think, that would be inappropriate. Don't do that, Pastor, and I'm not going to. They weren't just watching a video. In their, they were actually, they had to slaughter this animal. And it wasn't even just seeing this. They had to come and they had to do it themselves. Taking responsibility for, for killing this, this animal. And, you know, and this is where I think realizing how the mindset and the culture in the world of Leviticus is different from ours helps us realize some of the things that we miss. And this is hard for us. I said, one, because we're not used to animal death and seeing it or thinking about it. But even more, I think it's because we don't think that sin is a big deal. We don't really grasp what the Bible says when the wages of sin is death. But these people would have understood this because they had to go through with this. They had to have this happen. They had to be a part then of cutting this up and turning it over to the priest to, to put on the altar. And this was communicating to them that our sin is a really big deal. So big that it requires the shedding of blood. So big that it does require death. And either our death or the death of a substitute taking the place. And not just any, but one that, is, one that is perfect. One that is without blemish. The priest would burn all of this. Again, meat was, of any kind, was very costly in the ancient world. And it said this would reduce, produce a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 
And this isn't just like going to the supermarket and going on the uh, aisle and sniffing the different uh, types of Old Spice. When it talks about this, it means this was an act that was pleasing to the Lord, that God's attitude towards our sin was changed uh, because of what happened. It propitiated his anger. It made it so that um, God's displeasure at our sin did not have to be taken out upon us who deserve it. That's what that means. It was to soothe the Lord. It wasn't primarily about the person to make them feel good. Sometimes we think, well, we go to church to, for what it does for us to make us feel good. This was about what it, what it did to the Lord. And we know the Lord doesn't have emotions in the sense that we have emotions. But it, it changed things as far as the way that the Lord was able to relate to these people because their sin, they had propitiated the wrath of God. The sacrifice brought reconciliation between God and man. This was a very moving occasion. They had to kill it and watch it go up in smoke before their eyes. We can ask ourselves, you know, when we worship, is this something that's just passive? Or is it something that we are actively involved in when we give our worship to the Lord? We have to keep moving on. Next was the, the grain offering. This one, uh, a lot less blood and guts in this one, okay? The grain or, uh, you know, unless you're gluten intolerant, then you might be worried some on this. Uh, so Leviticus 2 talks about this. When anyone brings a grain offering as an offering to the Lord, he, uh, the offering shall be on fine flour, he shall pour oil on it and put incense on it and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, and he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all its frankincense and the priest shall burn this as a memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. But the rest of the grain offering shall be for Aaron and his sons. It is a most holy part of the Lord's food offering." And you can go and you can read the rest of the details on this one. The grain offering wasn't done by itself. It was usually done with and after the burnt offering. As we can see here, this is uh, it's, you know, flour, you know, grain uh, mixed with uh, oil and these other ingredients. Verse 13 says there always had to be salt with it. It also tells us, verse 11, never yeast or honey. So why is that? I think, well, salt is a preservative to help keep it from being contaminated or, or rotting, whereas yeast and honey uh, would cause fermentation in this corruption. So it, it still it had to be, um, it had to be uh, good in that way and not corrupted. Some other things that are different, uh, it tells you different ways that you could cook it. Um, this one, only a portion was burned. The burnt offering is the only one where the whole thing is burnt up. In this one, there's only a portion, and the rest of it is given to the priests, and this was part of their food. This was part of what they would, could eat and live on. And I think part of this, the grain offering, it was a sacrifice for thankfulness to God. This had to be produced by human labor. They had to work the fields. They had to, to make this. And it was symbolic. It was represented uh, giving you know, their labor, their works to God as a, as a response to him. Maybe in some ways when we give our, um, 
offerings to the Lord. We have our tithes and we have our offerings. And this is what we have earned. You've, you've been working your day job. How many dollars an hour? And you're giving part of that to God, showing your, your thankfulness. So you have the grain offering. The third one is called the peace offering. And the peace offering was an optional sacrifice for enjoying fellowship with God. So this one, this is a little bit different because this one's optional. It didn't have to be done and it didn't have to be done every day. And in this, the sacrifice could be male or female. One thing that's different about this is only part of it was burned up and the rest of it could be eaten as a, a meal, not just by the priest, but by the worshiper too. And probably family or friends. I mean, if it was something that was a large animal, there would be a lot of food on there to be eaten up. There are different reasons for this. And in chapter 7, verse 11 through 18, it lists a few. It could be done to express thanksgiving to God. Uh, there were also things, it could fulfill a vow or be done as a free will offering. But as you read the rest of the details, one thing that's interesting, the part that is given up, it says, well, I'll read here, um, three through five. And from the sacrifice of the peace offering, as a food offering to the Lord, he shall offer the fat covering the entrails and all of the fat that is on the entrails. Again, getting into some blood and guts here, but we're going to see what this means. And the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. Again, you might be thinking, this is more detail than I wanted to know. But you know, if they're doing this, they needed to know which parts here they're cutting up and what they're doing. Then Aaron's son shall burn it on the altar on top of the burnt offering, which is on the wood on the fire. It is a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So some would be burned and the rest they could have as a, I think as a celebration of their thankfulness and fellowship with God. That's part of what it was about. But you think, okay, why the fat covering the entrails and the kidneys? Why those parts? And here's the thing, this might be different than the way we view food, but this was in some ways, um, you had some of the, the fat considered some of the, the best part. And the kidneys, here's what's different. They, in the ancient world, they often viewed the kidneys and the intestines as kind of the seat of your emotions. You know, we say, you know, I love you with all my heart. You know, I, I give Jesus my heart. And we know, really, you don't love and you don't have emotions with your, your heart, your actual physical heart. It pumps blood through your body. That's what it does. You know, but, but, so we think of the heart as being that center. They viewed your kidneys and your, you know, your intestines, which I can kind of see why. There's times when you feel emotions, you kind of you feel stuff here going on, whether it's kind of good or bad. Sometimes we talk about a gut feeling. Um, but yeah, maybe if you were the ancient world, you would say things to your loved one, you know, like, I love you with both of my kidneys. <laughs> you know, so I, you guys, you try that one, use that one, see if that works. So maybe next time, Valentine's Day, get some cards, you know, maybe some homemade ones instead of hearts. You know, just have like kidneys on them and stuff. But you see what this is communicating then. This is like saying, God, I give you uh, my, my best portion. I give you my innermost being. It'd be like for us saying, God, I give you my heart. That's what they were doing with this offering. 
It was optional, but saying, God, I want you to have my heart. I want to, I'm, I'm so thankful for you. I, I love you, and I appreciate what you do. And then they could eat this, the rest of this together. You know, often, for many, maybe this is the only time they ate meat because it was such a rare thing, but this time of celebration. Sin offering. The sin offering provided purification from inadvertent sins and uncleanliness. So I think this was not for all sins, but specific kinds. And it was kind of, it was a purification offering. A variety of animals could be used, male or females. Uh, Goats were the standard animal here. Um, And the fat persons were burned and the rest was taken out to the ash heap of the camp and then burned. And this was for unwitting or unintentional sins. You did something, you, you didn't realize it was a sin, but now you did. And so you take care of it in this way. Or maybe something you realize you ought to have done and you didn't do it. Sin of omission. Maybe from a slip of memory or just not realizing something. You know, just uh, not being able to take care of something. If you read through it, it was also about purification from some things that made a person temporarily, temporarily unclean, even though it wasn't maybe necessarily sin, but it produced kind of a state of uncleanliness temporarily. It was not for high-handed sins. Like, God, I'm going to do what I want. I'm rebelling against you. This is for sins of uh, inadvertent sins. But they, even though they were inadvertent, you know, I just made a mistake. It was still something that required being taken care of. There were different rituals. We don't have time to look through it. But depending if you were a priest or a ruler or just a common person, there were different requirements because different people had different levels of responsibility within the community. And I think an application for us from this is that if there's something in your life that you didn't realize was sin, but then you do, you, you come across Scripture and you realize, oh, I've been sinning with this. Find out what it is. Deal with it. The last is the, uh, the guilt offering. And the guilt offering <clears throat> was for making restitution for debts of guilt from mistreating God's holy things or neighbor. So again, it wasn't just for all guilt. It was very specific. And the Hebrew word here used for guilt can also mean reparations, compensation. In uh, chapter 5, 14, it talks about it being for a breach of faith and sinning unintentionally in any of the holy things of the Lord. So like a, a priest accidentally ate the wrong food or did something like that. In chapter 6, 1 through 5, it talks about if it was something you realized you had cheated your neighbor, you had swindled them, you had uh, robbed them, you had deceived them in some way. This was the way that you made reparations, you made things right. And this one, it had to be a ram without blemish, or it seems the equivalent amount of money. The fat portions were burned and the rest given to the priest, and it had to be of a certain value plus 20%. So if you cheated someone 100, you had to make reparations for 120 to to, uh, give back what you took, but then some more to make things right. And I think an application for us, you know, even though we don't do these specific sacrifices, it means, yeah, we need to come, when we come clean about something, we need to do what we need to do to make it right. If you've 
cheated your neighbor, if you've ripped them off in some way, whether a business transaction, whether it's kids, you've, you've done something against your brother or sister, you need to make it right. Make amends as needed. If you were here when we did Luke and we had the story of Zacchaeus, remember that's what he did? He said, if I've cheated anyone, I'll pay it back plus 20%, plus a fifth. And he was taking that principle here from the guilt offering. Well, there are additional instructions given for the priests. You can read that. The fire in the altar was never to go out. We'll see next week how the fire gets started. Um, other things for keeping the priests and their clothing and their work holy. But I want to just finish by giving just a few applications from this. And first we're going to talk about, okay, if you were living in the Old Testament, what would you have gotten out of this? Some basic things. And if, if you were Old Testament Israel, one thing you definitely would have realized is God is holy. And we're going to keep coming back to this, this whole series, that God is not a casual God. He's not a God that is contaminated by sin. And his holiness means something very serious for us. God is a holy, holy, holy God. And therefore, as sinners, as people that are contaminated by sin, we cannot just waltz into his presence any way that we want. I think this also teaches us that sin is a big deal to God. The fact that something had to die Blood had to be shed to deal with it. And in this Old Testament system, it was an animal that had to die and you had to come and you had to slaughter this animal. This would communicate that sin was a big deal. And I think too many, to too many of us, we don't think it is. We think God doesn't really care. He just you know, forgives and forgets and it, it's no big deal to him. But sin really is a big deal. And I think also to us, being on this side of the cross... And with the, the new covenant in place, also things that we can take away from this is the, to appreciate the truth that we don't have to make sacrifices like this today. Why? Because the ultimate sacrifice has already been made. The reason that we're not going to slaughter any animals here is because the ultimate, the real sacrifice, the one that actually really does take away sin, has already, has already been slaughtered. And when we take the Lord's Supper here, when we do communion, this is us remembering back to that once-for-all sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. And that's the reason why there's truth from these sacrifices that we need to understand but it's because of Jesus that we don't have to make these sacrifices now. Hebrews 10 makes this really clear. Let me read to you from Hebrews 10, 4 through 18. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. It didn't really solve the problem. It pointed ahead to the one that would. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and altering and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scrolls of the book. That's quoting from Psalm 40, 6 through 8. And then it goes on in verse 10. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. 
And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. They can never really take away sin. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And then verse 18 says, Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. We think through all this. Think of what a serious thing it was that Jesus had to come and to do what the, uh, the, the bread and the cup here represent, him giving his life, giving his death, him shedding his blood on the cross for us. And have you identified with him? Has your guilt been transferred to Jesus Christ so that he took your sin when he was on the cross and he gives you his righteousness? And I want to tell you, if you're here and you're a sinner and you know it and that bothers you, you can leave here with your sin being transferred to the one that can actually take it away, who loved you enough to shed his blood for you. And then in response to that, you know, we don't give this type of sacrifice. Makes clean up a lot easier here today. But we are to give ourselves. Romans 12.1 I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Like the burnt offering, Christian, live your life in response, in total dedication to God. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what we are taught here through the instructions that you gave through Moses to the people of Israel. Lord, we thank you that we do not have to make these type of sacrifices today because Jesus Christ has been sacrificed once and for all. And Lord, we do thank you, though, what these sacrifices teach us. You are holy, and there had to be the shedding of blood to take care of that, to cleanse us of our sin. And the only one that could truly do this was the one true and perfect sacrifice, the Son of God, who died for sinners like us. We give you praise. Help us to remember you and live for you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.